We are in week seven of a 10-week series in the book of Ecclesiastes. And to get us where we're heading here today, let me just uh, make an observation, and that is that when you are young, you really don't grasp how fragile life is, right? I was talking to someone about their little kid last night at service, like on the ski slope, and it's terrifying. They have no fear. And uh, I remember when I was a kid, uh, we had this big tree house that like was over this ditch and between multiple trees. And uh, it, it was great. We built this whole thing. And then we wanted to have like a pirate tower outlook on this thing. And so I remember taking two by four chunks with just some nails and nailing them to the side of this elm tree. And in my head, um, it went up like 30 feet into the air. And we would just climb on up, you know, no ropes, no harnesses, just normal, right? And uh, looking back, I'm like, oh, that was a little dangerous. <laughs> um, or, or one time, I remember, uh, we grew up over here a few, couple of miles, and um, by Scenic Elementary, there's this canyon. And when you're going down in this canyon, there's like this little cliff, um, rock kind of ledge kind of thing. And me and my friends, uh, we'd been up to Camp Red Cloud. We'd gone rappelling and the whole like talk they give you about faith and the rope that can hold 8,000 pounds, like a van. And you're like, yeah. And so we come back after we went rappelling and we thought uh, it would be fun to rappel down that ledge. But we didn't have a rock climbing rope. But we had a garden hose. And so I went, I got a garden hose and took it over there and rappelled down this small cliff on a, uh, on a garden hose. And looking back, I'm like, what was I thinking, right? And here's the truth. Um, actually, science has proved this, that the portion of the brain that assesses risk does not fully develop in boys or young men till like their mid-20s. Which explains a lot about us, doesn't it, guys? Some, I think, you, it's never fully developed for you. <laughs> now, some of you, if you're like, you know, 18, you're like, I can't even imagine living like that. I, I am very cautious. That's because you had parents that kind of grew up like me. And um, they turned into what are called helicopter parents. So they like, you know, they were so freaked out that they survived their youth that they took it out on you. Um, I had this conversation with some good friends the other day, and there was a common theme of, I can't, I'm amazed I survived my youth, some of the things we did. I'm like, I'd never let my kids do that. But anyway, as you get older, you get a much clearer perspective on how fragile life is, don't you? Which is why a lot of times you get a little more cautious about things. And eventually, we all come to the place in life where we have to confront the reality that Ecclesiastes brings up over and over again. And I'm going to grab one verse out of Ecclesiastes chapter 8. We're going to be in 9 today, so we're skipping ahead. And what our staff has created for you, a supplemental study guide. What we're hoping you will do is grab two or three others and for four weeks, go through this supplemental study guide and dig into some of these passages because we're doing this book in 10 weeks instead of our normal two years. We want you to take it home and some of these other passages, dig into it on your own. So you can go to our website, um, Ecclesiastes Study Guide, and check that out. But I'm going to pick up this verse that tells us this truth out of Ecclesiastes, and that's this. No man has the power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. 
that eventually it's coming for you, no matter how many carrots you juice. Anybody remember those days? Eventually it's coming for you. And you don't have to control or power over that. You can make good decisions, you know, and there's some, some wisdom that can be part of that. And, hope, and that's good, right? Hopefully that'll extend it. Don't, you know, don't be dumb and repel off a garden hose. <laughs> but if any, you really don't have power over it. We're taught that over and over and over if you just pay attention to life. And that truth that life truly is fragile and it goes by quickly, it affects us all a little bit differently. Sometimes it does lead to wise caution in life. I remember, uh, like, I'm always drilling into my kids, wear your eye, like, safety goggles. Um, I, I'm, I had an uncle that used to, uh, Uncle John, and they were having a rubber band fight when they were kids, and he got hit in the eye with a rubber band, and always, like, he'd squint, right? And so in our family, when we had rubber band wars, we wear goggles. And, and I'm like drilling into my kids, eye protection, Uncle John. Remember Uncle John? And they're like, come on, Dad. I'm, I'm not Dad. But sometimes there is wise caution in life, right? Buckle your seatbelt. Take care of your health. Plan, plan for your retirement. Um, some of these things, there's wise caution and wise um, living that, that, that happens, and that's an, a good outcome of understanding you're not invincible, that life is short and somewhat and very fragile. But I think our, another reaction is often we just try to ignore it. We try not to think about the fact that life is, is fragile. Uh, we sort of stuff that behind and just go about pursuing a life like Solomon talks about in the first few chapters of just thinking, I'm going to get that next shiny object. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to get all this stuff, and that's going to bring me meaning and satisfaction. And in the meantime, we miss out on some of the most important things of life. Or we just ignore things. We don't take care of our health. We don't prioritize most important relationships in our life. We live recklessly, and ultimately it ends in regret. Or sometimes, I think for many people, and perhaps this is you in the room, it leads to an unhealthy fixation on fear and on safety. I mean, emotionally, maybe it's like I've been hurt in this relationship, and now I'm paralyzed. I won't take any risk. I won't, I'm, I'm going to protect myself if I can just, like, I'm not going to go through that again. And you begin to just keep people out of your life. Or you think you can control, like, we're going to take control of life. And if I could just be safe enough and, and think through the variables well enough and plan for the future well enough, I, I, I can control it and, and I'll be safe. And what happens is pretty soon you're a shell of who you were created to be. Because that's not the way that life was created. You weren't created to try to control everything. And in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon is going to tell us, hey, I've learned something counterintuitive about life. I've learned something a little bit different um, that you may not just get on a surface level. And it's the title of this series we're in, Living Life Backward, where Solomon's going to say, hey, I've, I've learned that when, if, when you pause, and as uncomfortable as it, as it may be to confront this reality that life is fragile and it goes by quickly, and none of us have control, ultimately. 
When you actually pause and soberly think through that and allow it to impact you and allow yourself to think of the end and work backwards from that of what is very important, it has the potential to actually allow you to live with freedom and peace and joy and experience the richness of life as a gift from God. That there's something healthy and freeing and powerful in living that way. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to pick up the text in Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 8, verse 16. We're going, to, we're going to pick up the last couple of verses of chapter 8, and then we're going to work our way through most of chapter 9 here today. Here's what he says. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business or the busyness that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes sleep, Then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. And this is what Jason talked about last week, that even wisdom has its limits. That even the wisest of people, there are things out of your control and there are many things that are unknowable in this life unless God reveals them to you. Being super smart, being super wise cannot reveal all the mysteries of God. You need revelation from God in order to do that. There's some things only God knows. But here's what Solomon knows. Here's where wisdom can lead you. It can lead you to the sober realization that there are truths in life that you as a created creature are subject to. Verse 1 of chapter 9, he says this, But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hands of God. Your life is in his hands. Of course, Jesus tells us he cares for you. Like not a sparrow falls out of the sky without him knowing it. How much more does he care for you? Jesus says, he cares for you, but also you're not in control. Your life is in his hands. There are things that you're not meant to be in control of. He goes on, he says, whether it is love or hate, man does not know, both are before him. You don't know how others are going to treat you, how others are going to respond to you. He says it is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous And the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. He says, have you ever noticed about life that there's a commonality that good people and bad people, the same end comes to them? under the sun, in this life. That, it's true. And that's not fair, is it? Does that feel fair? It doesn't feel fair. In fact, um, I have a line in, in, in the message, I usually do it at, at funerals, that says I think there should be a rule that bad things don't get to happen to good people. Anybody else think that should be a rule? One person. The rest of you are like, it's a trick. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to raise my hand. He'll call on me. <laughs> but that's not, that's not the reality of life. And Solomon says, this is the reality of life. And it like triggers this 
injustice meter in us, doesn't it? You can do the right thing your whole life and it not necessarily go your way. While somebody doing the wrong thing all their life, it seems like, why is everything working out for them? It doesn't feel right. Solomon says there is a, there's something about the way the fabric of the universe is that, that we understand deep in our souls. Maybe this wasn't the way it was created to be. He goes on to, to say this. He says, this is an evil in all that is done under the sun. See, death is not normal. Remember when, when we talked about back in the early part of the book, uh, that God has placed eternity in our hearts, that there's this, this like muscle memory, there's this void in our heart that understands the relationship we were meant to have, unbroken with God and death and, and each other, and death, I mean, death separates that relationship, doesn't it? Now we know, if you're here in a follower of Jesus, that to be absent with the body is to be present with, with Christ. And, and that's when you actually experience, I, I mean, you're going to see him face to face. So, but in this life, under the sun, remember, Solomon talks about this under the sun, apart from a bigger reference point, apart from an eternal perspective, we can all look up and say that this, this is hard and, and it doesn't feel like this is the way it's supposed to be. And why is it we all know that deep within our souls? I mean, for the really committed, like, atheist or naturalist, it's like, well, that's just the way it is. It makes sense, actually. It's survival of the fittest. It's just the way of nature. But yet, I think for most of us, and even them, there's this thing in our soul that still feels and knows, has a sense of that's not the way it was created to be. And he says, so, so he says, an evil done under the sun, the same event happens to all. Also, and he recognizes this about the human nature, also the hearts of the children of men are full of evil. And madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. He says, humanity, there's something broken within us. It's not just that ultimately we all die. As I look around and survey the world, there's something broken actually within us. The hearts of humans are bent towards evil. In fact, at the end of chapter 7, one of the little portions we skipped, but I thought it was a really a fun little verse. Well, not fun, but true. He says that surely there's not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Like, he has a realization as I look around Earth, there's nobody that's, that's sin-free. And I know sometimes for some, maybe you're just coming through church and it's like, ah, sin, come on, that's so antiquated. I've made some, I've made some mistakes in my life, but not sin. And Solomon goes, oh, no, there's some icky stuff in your heart. He says, hey, um, he goes on, he says, hey, don't take too seriously when you hear some other people saying something about you, like, don't get so mad, because you know your heart. He says, you, you know that many times you have cursed others yourself. It's like, Ooh, that's, that's true. I've had some things in my heart that have, uh, if I'm honest, they're, they're icky. Remember, we talked about envy. Jesus says envy is one of those things that comes out of our heart. And, and envy is that thing that wants something so bad that someone else has is that, that stuff that we're willing to do stuff we, we would never thought we would have done. Or when we see someone 
who maybe we've had some rivalry with, you know, who always is doing better than us, and they hit a speed bump in life, and something goes bad, and there's that little thing in our heart that rises up and feels good. Maybe you've experienced that, and you're like, what is that? It's icky. That's because um, there's something wrong within us. Even Solomon, he says, e- even himself, and he knows this. And, and here's what is interesting about Solomon is as you put together the, the account of Solomon's life, I mean, all the wealth, all the power, Israel's superpower status, all, all this like amazing splendor, and yet he marries 700 princesses. Imagine, that's a lot of drama. Like one princess drama, like 700, that's drama, right? Builds them all palaces, and then he has 300 concubines too in his harem. Crazy, we can't even imagine. But, but 1 Kings 11 tells us that, that his many foreign wives drew his heart away from God. That he's like, oh, I'll just marry all these different people, even though God in his law had commanded him not to, specifically kings not to do this. He's like, well, I'm the exception to the rule. I'll, I'll change them. He didn't change them. He was just, okay, it's okay, honey. You can go do your little idol worship thing over there on the side. And before you know it, by the end of his life, he's going along. He's participating in things that were detestable to the heart of God, worshiping awful demon idol gods, small g, including gods that that commanded their, their people to do horrible things like sacrifice their babies in the fire. And, and literally, God, I mean, God was faithful to the covenant with his father, David, but the kingdom, he said, you're going to lose it, man. It's going to be torn apart. And, and right after Solomon, 10 tribes were split off, and the nation of Israel was split into two. And he understands this, I think, on a deep level, even in his own heart. And what what's, uh, scholars think is that these observations about life are from the very end of Solomon's life. And, and this is our hope and our prayer that he came back to God in his heart. We don't know for sure. But you get the sense here that, that he knows this even about his own heart. Of course, if you've read the book of Romans, this, is, this isn't news, right? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That there's a brokenness in creation itself. It says um, when sin entered, that it's a mixed bag that we are broken, that we are sinful. And so he gives us this this really bad news. You're all facing this, and to make it worse, I've noticed in in the human heart, there's evil. It's really bad news, but here's how this really bad news is actually good news. He goes on, he says this in verse 4, but he who is joined with all the living has hope. Has hope, he says. There's hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. Okay, true. And really blunt, Solomon, right? For all the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Like, death is coming. Not a real big chance you're going to get beamed up. That's happened twice in Scripture. Enoch and Elijah, 
Your percentage probably pretty low on the chance of that, right? And then you're off this planet. But there's hope, he says. There's hope. You still have breath in your lungs. And as long as you have breath in your lungs, the question is, what are you going to do with it? As long as you have life, there's hope. What are you going to do with it? <laughs> there was this old movie. Some of you probably remember it. Uh, Monty Python. And uh, there's this one scene in this Monty Python movie where this guy, there's like a plague in England and they're going around collecting the bodies. Anybody remember that? And this guy, like, they go around beating this little, bring out your dead, bring out your dead. And, and they throw this one guy on the pile. And I love it because he's like, I'm not dead yet. He's like, I'm still here. There's still hope. And see, I think here's the, the realization, and my, my hope for Solomon at the end is he reconnected with God in a deep way because the truth is that Scripture tells us and Jesus tells us, you think you're irredeemable? You think you're a lost cause? You think you walk through those doors and the, and the roof you know, the church is going to fall down on you? No. As long as you're living, there's hope. You have a heavenly father who loves you, who sent his son to die for you in order that you may be restored to relationship with him. There's hope. And that's why the prophets tell us, seek the Lord while he can be found. Because now is your opportunity to seek him. As long as you have breath in your lungs, you can pursue him. You can call out to him. You can seek him. Today, if you hear his voice, Hebrews says, don't harden your hearts. Today, you can respond to him. As long as you have life, you have hope. And Solomon will come back around to this at the very end of the book. Excuse me, I had a cold this week, and so I'm, I'm still got that lingering little thing, you know. He says, uh, fear God and keep his commandments. At the very end of the book, this is what it, what it all boils down to. Like, live your life in proper relationship with, with God. Why? Because you're going to stand before him. God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. But you have an opportunity now to reach out to him, to connect. If you're hearing his voice Respond. That's the heart of it. You have hope. You have hope. But it's, but it doesn't just, it's not just hope for eternity. Like, after this life ends, there's hope now that actually you would experience a richness in life when you begin to experience it the way he designed it. That's why Jesus said, I came that they might have what? Life, and life abundantly. That you would actually know what it really is to live life. And so Solomon's going to go on and tell us, like, take this moment in this book, connect, be sure you take the time given to you to connect with God on a deep level, but don't miss out on connecting with others in this life. Don't miss out on the gift that life actually is now. He goes on, he says, here, here's how that when you get a proper perspective of you know, the end and you start working backwards, actually what it should do for you is it should bring a freedom in your life. When you under, begin to understand you can't control everything you, and, and and end is coming and, and you can't control when that is, you can stop stressing out so much about it. Everybody's going to die. 
You can stop stressing out about it. He says, here's what this perspective should do for you when it comes to living life here and now in the small things in life that we often miss because we're trying to control or we're trying to pursue things that we think will bring meaning. He says this, go. And this is an action word in the Hebrew. Go, like seize it, go for it. Go, eat your bread with joy. And drink your wine, sorry, Baptist, drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. This idea of white garments, festive garments, wedding garments, like a party, oil on your head, like slicking your hair back, getting all fancied up, putting on some nice lotions, you know? It's, it's the desert, man, come on. He said, actually enjoy some of the things that God has given you in this life. See, there was an early Christian heresy called Gnosticism that came around and said that everything physical is bad, everything spiritual is good, and so your goal is to sort of escape the physical realm and float off into some spiritual existence. You know what? The fall did not change the fact that God created a good creation. It's broken. Sin entered. It's twisted. There's death and decay, and every rose has its what? Ouch, thorn. But it's still good. And God has still placed in this enjoyment and beauty. He didn't have to. There's a big theological term called common grace. And common grace just means that... uh, um, God, well, it says God sends his rain on the righteous and the wicked. That he has placed enjoyment into life. He didn't have to. He didn't have to make t- food, steak taste so good. But he did. And the joy and, I mean, the pleasure of life, relationships. And he says here, hey, go out, have a great meal with some friends. Get together, have fun. You know, one of my favorite things to do is just with one or two couple other couples around the table, and you have a great meal, and the conversation drifts and stretches on for hour after hour. For some of you, you're like super extroverts. Your, your idea is like a party of 50 people in your house. Good on you. But it's those beautiful moments of relationship and connection. And you know why we enjoy that so much? And we're actually told to enjoy that? Did you know Jesus? Have you ever read through the Gospels? Jesus, like, eats his way through the Gospels. I'm serious. He's, like, eating with people all over. He's at, because there's something about the table and gathering around the table and, and the intimacy and, and of communion and relationship that happens there that's a taste of heaven. You know Jesus talks about the great banquet to come? <laughs> go read the end of the book. The prophets talk about the great banquet, the, the finest of meats, uh, choices of meats, the finest of wines, like this big idea of this beautiful, beautiful time. And it's a taste 
of that. The reason we love that so much and we're told to enjoy life, go have a great meal with some great friends and talk about things of substance and laugh and enjoy it and pause enough so you're not always just trying to acquire that you can actually enjoy the gift that God has given in this life. He's designed it that way, and it's because it's a taste of eternity. It's a little taste now of heaven. Just a taste. Just a taste of what we will experience in unbroken relationship with each other and with our God in eternity in the new heavens and new earth that's beyond anything we can ever imagine. I love it. There's a C.S. Lewis quote, and I couldn't remember it exactly, but somebody texted it to me last night after service. So I have it exactly today. He said this is in one of the Narnia books, and it's entering basically eternity. And in there, it's a new land, and here was the sentiment of the person entering it. He said, I belong here. This is the land I've been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. Come further up, come further in. And what we get now are little tastes. But you got to pause from striving, from vanity, the hebel, the vapor, the mist, striving for things that don't last in order that you can taste at that just a little bit now. Or you'll miss it. You'll miss the enjoyment and the beauty that God built into it. So enjoy some connection and relationship that God has placed here. And then, the hope for now is this, enjoy the life with the wife whom you love. All the days of your vein, remember, fleeting, that's habel, a fleeting, a vapor, or a mist. It's quick. It goes by fast. All the days of your vein life that he has given you under the sun. Because that is your portion in life, in your toil at which you toil under the sun. He's given you relationships to enjoy. And I, I love this because you almost get this sense from Solomon that in the midst of this uh, thousand women, he has the memory. In fact, if you go to the very next book, The Song of Solomon, there's this beautiful, it's a beautiful love story. It's pretty racy. <laughs> the, the rabbis don't let like boys under 12 read it. But he has this beautiful memory of what seems like a, a pure relationship of a pure husband and wife relationship when it was pure, when it was simple. And then he goes on thinking, if I could just get more, if grass is greener over there. And it's almost like there's this longing in his heart for, for what was pure and what was right. And he realizes this, that, that more didn't bring what he hoped for. And there's a sense that he would have committed to just one to that faithful relationship. And see, here's what we're, we see throughout the New Testament is, is, is marriage and family are a good thing that God created. And there's a trend in our culture to wait longer and longer to get married, right, till a lot later in life and not have as many kids and all this thing. And, and actually, I think Solomon in the, in the testimony of a lot of people would say that actually isn't... Uh, where the greatest joy is found. That we have this thing that doesn't want to commit, that doesn't want to commit to just one, 
that thinks we're missing out on something. And Solomon's testimony to us is, oh, I've tried it. I've had it. And, and guess what? You think it's going to bring you what brings, you know, greater joy, but it's not. There's an in faithfulness, in purity, in developing love, a love that grows and a love that grows in depth. That's where actual joy and fulfillment is going to be found in life. That's why don't be afraid of commitment, young people. Like, find someone who loves Jesus. Don't make the mistake Solomon did getting started, which was like thinking, oh, I'll, I'll change them. And they drew his heart away from God into idolatry. No, find someone who loves Jesus and do life with them and commit. Don't be afraid to commit because there's a beauty in that. There's a richness in that. And let me just say, hey, it's okay to be single too. Paul tells us. In fact, some of you, of you may be called to be single. Some of you are like, I don't really want to be called to be single, but I've been. Well, maybe in this season you are. Just be patient. Hang in there. Keep praying. But Paul says there's a great opportunity in singleness to invest your life into God's kingdom and to have a bunch of extra time and freedom. So, so don't think you're somehow second class. There's a beauty in that too. But the way our culture's doing it right now of just like swipe right, swipe right, try out a bunch of relationships. No, that's not where joy is found. Joy is found in finding a depth of love and commitment and sticking with it and hanging, hanging in there. It's beauty and it's a wonderful experience. And many people in this room would tell you, it's amazing. Now it's not always easy, is it? Like having a good marriage takes work. What good in life doesn't take work? Think about it. It takes some work, but it's worth it. And it's wonderful. And it brings ultimate joy and fulfillment when it's done with God at the center. And so don't be afraid of it. And let me just, before I go on to the next verse, let me just say, um, in a room this size, there's a lot of people, statistically, um, 40, 50% of marriages that have not experienced this. And I know this, in singles in the room, statistically, a lot of you have experienced more than one relationship. And there's a lot of pain sometimes there, and there's a lot of regret, and there's a lot of shame. Or there's brokenness. Maybe you're in a relationship, and you're like, I was faithful and committed, and it blew up. The other person walked away. Maybe you were the one that walked away and blew it. Maybe you're like, I don't even know what happened. There's hope. His mercies are new every day. As long as you're breathing, there's hope. There's hope for eternity. You have the offer of forgiveness and to walk in freedom. And maybe there's some things you need to go get some counseling and work through in your life. That, that's a process. It doesn't always come overnight, right? But he can bring healing. He can bring restoration and beauty and actually take that situation and turn it into something profound that does something in your life that brings a richness. That's called the grace of God. His mercies are new every day. You just, every day you walk, you get up and you start following God, you, you start walking towards him where you're at. And sometimes you fall down. You get up and you keep walking towards him. Don't walk away. 
You have a lo- loving Heavenly Father that invites you into that. You ask him, okay, God, now what? With where I find myself. Pursue him. Seek him. Allow him to bring healing and restoration into your life. He can bring resurrection to your situation. Our God is able to do that. And you may not see it. I mean, it may take five years and you turn around and you go, wow, that was really brutal. But this is what God did in my life through that. It may take 20 years. Or you may not in this life have an explanation for that thing. And in that, you just trust, God, I know somehow. You had a purpose. Not that you caused that. But you're working something in my heart through it. You have a hope. As long as you're alive, you have a hope. Now, if you find yourself in a relationship you know, I'm married and my, my husband or wife doesn't know Jesus. You hang in there. You keep praying for him. You keep loving. You keep living your life as an example. I have seen God move in circumstances like that. Don't ever give up. He goes on. He says this in verse 10. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work, thought, or knowledge, or wisdom, and shale, the underworld to which you are going. This is the idea of seize life, embrace life, have some enthusiasm about things, do some hard things, take some risks. Follow him into something. See, God has created you to live for something bigger than yourself and to to do things in this life. Now, the perspective makes all the difference. Don't just think acquiring things and building more and more is going to fill that satisfaction. No, but it actually there's enjoyment in it, and he's created you to do something bigger than yourself. See, the root comes in, what are you finding your meaning and your purpose in and your identity in? You need to find it in him, that you are in him. You are his. That's where your identity comes from. But he has called you to do great things in this world for his kingdom. What does Jesus say? Seek first his kingdom. And how that works itself out in your life, because not everybody's called to be a missionary in Africa or a preacher. Some of you are called to business or teaching, and that is going to be the lane that God uses in your life to do incredible things. And you're going to find enjoyment and fulfillment in that. Go for it, Solomon says, because life is a gift. You don't know how long it lasts. Enjoy what you do. Like, put down the joystick and do something with meaning in life. Because that's what you're created for. To accomplish something. To do something that's bigger than you. To do something that impacts other people. And helps and serves other people. Do it with all your might, he says. He says, again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor the bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. Have you noticed that? As well as you plan and have your business plan and strategy, stuff happens. 2020, anyone? (laughs) You you don't control it. But don't shrink back, because here's what you do. You're like, I'm not going to take risk anymore. No, you seek God, and you take yeah, and you follow his lead, and if he's calling you into something, you were designed to take some risk in life. 
Don't just push away relationships and say, I'm going to insulate myself so I don't get hurt again. You'll become a shell of who you were created to be. Let some people into your life. Well, have some wise boundaries. But don't stop taking risks for the kingdom of God. Don't stop taking risks in life. Don't think you can control it all and just be so safe it's all going to work out. Now, guess what? Life happens. And you were called to step out and do some things. Yeah. Um, the founder of the, the Association of Churches we're part of, he, he said something um, that I felt was really um, profound. He said, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Think about that. Because there's a truth in that. Have you noticed that when God calls you to something, he very rarely gives you all the information? I, I would say never, but I'd never say never. But in my experience, he says, hey, Abraham, leave the land you're in. Where are we going? Just get on the road. I'll show you. Hey, you're going to have a child. How's that going to work? Well, you'll see. You know, um, there's very rarely guarantees in life, but if God leads you towards something, if you really strongly sense, you have good, wise counsel, you sense he's calling you to something, you go for it. You don't know how it's going to end. I remember when we, uh, we, we had to decide if we were going to go full-time with this thing and walk away from a salary, and there was barely enough money to pay the rent. There was no salary. But we knew God was calling us to do it. And I remember my thought then. I'm like, I have security over here, but if I choose security over, over the step of faith and risk that God's calling me to take, I'm going to regret it for the rest of my life. You know, it's very rarely the people that step out and follow God and take some risks in life that have regrets. God-led, not reckless. I'm not talking about that. There are reckless risks. But where you, you, you have a sense of this is what God's calling me to do, I don't just think like, see, what happens for so many people, if I can just control it all, I'm going to stack all this money in my retirement account and not do anything and like not live life now. Be wise. Put his, you know, follow your investment strategy. But if God's calling you to go on the mission trip, go. Where he guides, he'll provide. I've seen it over and over and over. Shameless plug for Homes of Hope. Sign up. May. <laughs> I've seen it over and over you got to invite him in and follow his voice. That's the responsive to the Holy Spirit thing that we talk about so much. He goes on. He says this, for man does not know his time. Like fish that are taken in an evil net and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared in an evil time when it suddenly falls on them. Again, starting with the end in mind. But don't let it depress you. Let it show you how to really live. Let it show you how to enjoy life as a gift from him. And in those moments of pain that inevitably come in life, don't let it push you away from God. Let it move your heart to asking God, what can I learn through this? Have you noticed some of the people with the, the richest faith and the best perspective have been people at the end of their life who know they don't have very long left? It's an amazingly clarifying thing when you speak to some of these people. It's like, wow, how do you do it? It's called God's grace. He gives it to you. But they just have a whole new lease on life, and you're like, wow. Like, I, I think I would just be depressed. And they're like, no. 
I've, I've come to really understand what's most important in this moment. Don't let it depress you. Let it cause you to ask the deeper questions of life and step out and do what he's calling you to do. I want to invite Winston to come up. We're going to close in a song. And as we do, I just want to remind you of that one little phrase, the living have hope. See, because what Jesus does, he comes along and Solomon has some inklings about what, what comes after this life. But Jesus and the apostles bring us the revelation of God that you can have life abundantly now, but a life that does not end. That to be absent with the body is to be present with Christ. And Peter, Peter wrote this because he understood this. And man, Peter, I mean, he'd go on to give his life for his Savior. They went through some really hard things. Here's what he said. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That he's given you hope. He's given you eternal hope. And he can resurrect things in your life now as well and bring beauty to them. But ultimately, the hope is you're going to spend eternity with him and with your loved ones who have died in Christ. He goes on, he says this, for, this is, uh, sounds a lot like Solomon. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. The good news that you can have hope in Jesus. You can have life in Jesus. You can have meaning in Jesus. I'm not here to tell you he's going to fix everything right away. There may be things in your life that don't get fixed in this life. But he can give you a meaning, a purpose, and an eternal hope and a peace in life. 